I'm John Chambers, and welcome to another episode of Chambers Talks, my LinkedIn podcast. It's a fun discussion for me, and especially today with a great friend for literally multiple decades, to talk about disruptions going on in the tech industry and how every company in the world becomes a, a digital company. What are the security challenges facing us globally? How do you transform companies? And how do you know it's the right time to change the position and vision for your company and what works and does not work within it? How do you compete against market transitions, not competitors? And how do they hear this from leading executives uh, that we bring on the podcast regularly who've been there, done it before, not only the successes, but also will share with us the challenges they saw. Uh, it's a pleasure for me today to introduce my very good friend, John Chan. We've been friends, as I said earlier, for two decades plus. Uh, we became friends when we were teenagers, or at least that's my story, John, and we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll kind of cover for that. Uh, I followed him through 15 years as CEO of Sybase. He had 55 quarters of profitability and outstanding shareholder return. And then John went to become CEO of BlackBerry for the last seven. Again, he's, he's taken a company much like he did at Sybase and leading it through a successful technology pivot. And it's something I think if I do my job right, John, you can share with uh, all the listeners because everyone, whether we're a first line manager, an individual contributor or CEO of a large company, we all think about how do we lead our companies through these transitions. Uh, you've been very active uh, in terms of interface to government, and you've also been very active in policy procedures that might affect Europe, uh, China, US, China, India, et cetera. I'm sorry, US, India, et cetera. You've been on the boards of Walt Disney and uh, Wells Fargo. Uh, your background's perfect for today. And John, I'll do my best uh, to really challenge you and have fun. But welcome to the podcast and thank you. Thank, thank you, John. It's really nice for you to invite me here. Yes, we, we know each other for decades. And that's, that's, a, that's, a long, that's a long time. Like you said, we were in high school then. Yeah. But. <laughs> Please, please I agree, John. Well, thank you. Let me jump into a really good one. Uh, when you really think about the transformation at BlackBerry, uh, you basically have done a pivot that very few people have been successful doing. And you move from an original image of BlackBerry being an amazing, secure smartphone company. But now you've really reinvented it in terms of your focus and changed away from what I consider mainly a hardware platform to much more of an architectural and software platform. First, is that observation right? Secondly, how did you do it? And you know the third question, what went well and what are some of the lessons learned uh, uh, if you were giving advice to others to how to make this, if you will, Silicon Valley two-step, which you've done very well multiple times? Thank you for the question. Yes, most people think of... Um, BlackBerry as a phone, a, a handset, and we certainly were the de facto handset for very serious computing, whether it is for government use or enterprise users and lawyers and doctors and, and things that you need to keep secure and reliable. Um, it, 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 most people think about a pivot, they usually think about it from a technology standpoint. Um, and 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 true, there's a certain element of that. However, um, you are you are very good at it at Cisco, which is you think about a market you serve. I think the proper pivot 
you think about a market, and I use BlackBerry as an example. BlackBerry has always been known for security and reliability, transmission of data and connections. Um, if you think about that, that's an attribute that's not only tied to hardware, which was the phone. That's an attribute that you could put on anything. That now we, I know we're going to discuss a little bit more about the market today. So what we have decided to do really is the phone business vertically is not making enough money or actually losing a lot of money. But why don't we just take the, the secret source and put it on a bigger market, which is everybody's phone. And that's how the pivot started. And this is why we went from hardware, which had its own you know, pluses and minuses, to move to a software orientation, which then we said, well, we're going to take advantage of putting it on iPhone and we're going to put it on Android phones. It used to be a, a you know fierce competitors of ours. Um, and so with that, we then built another strategy on top of that. Again, think about the transformation from a market perspective. Surf available market is more important than the technology, the great technology everybody has. So that's that's the first part of the, the question. And what are some of the lessons learned, both things to do and things to avoid? Because the most difficult organization to change is one that's been very successful. And the roots are, go deep in terms of this is what we are. Uh, why do we have to change? How do you get the company to buy into it? How do you reposition the market? What are some of the lessons that you could teach the people on this podcast today on how that occurred? In my case, it's actually reasonably simple. We were one. We were uh, uh, very close to going out of business, uh, so the changes was forced upon us. We really didn't have much of a choice. We were in a kind of we, we pin ourselves in a corner for a whole host of reasons. Um, but so we have to change. We we don't really have a choice. I, but I agree with you. Most people find their changes too late. You know, a, you know, a, a real good company. We want to make the change earlier. Um, and I remember uh, one Harvard professor wrote a book. I think the title was Be Lunch or Eat Lunch, or maybe I had it reverse in order. But that's exactly what it is. If, if, you, if, if you don't change, you know, other people will force you into it, and that will be a very painful thing. Unfortunately, in my case, uh, we, we were late. We have to make the change. So when you talk about buy-in, uh, this is interesting. Uh, I didn't have as much issue of getting our people buying in. The market took a long time to accept it. Uh, and the reason is being, um, you know, all our employee knows that, you know, we don't change, we have no future. Um, so the changes is welcome as long as it's logical. Uh, now, the issue that we usually run into is skills. Okay? We, we know how to do certain things really, really, really well, like building phones. Yes, uh, and 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 now all of a sudden we're going to have to rely on our software capability and our technology and and encryption technology capability and uh, and you of course at Cisco was also a customer of our using QNX which is our safety operating systems you know you're now relying on that and putting on everybody else hardware devices is culturally difficult um, and so my number one issue has always been the culture side of the equation. You know, and the skill side of the equation, um, culture being actually the, the the more challenging one. 
You know, it's fascinating when you talk about leaders and expectations of leaders. And I do this with my startups. Uh, I, I say the role of the leader, uh, the CEO is just four things, vision and strategy for the company, develop, recruit the management team to implement that vision and, and strategy and occasionally make changes there. Uh, communicate all of the above and culture where culture people uh, always underestimate regardless of a big company or smaller company, how much that can contribute to your success or how it can actually uh, slow you down. Mm-hmm. Often these podcasts, I, I try to use examples of people that take complex topics like the ones we just discussed and net them out tightly. Uh, just if you were to say uh, as an example, because how you set the pace, your whole company follows what is BlackBerry today and what will it be three years and five years from now? BlackBerry is now a pure software company, um, and we focus on cybersecurity and safety systems in the hardware side. I mean, the software side, in a sense. Um, and, um, and, and we, we focus on two major pillars. Um, security and communications. And that has always been, if you, if you, if I use my example back into building, you know, the very first RIM device, the research in motion device, which is the former name of BlackBerry, uh, was a pager, if you remember. Um, and you may or may not remember, you know, you're too young then, of course. Uh, you know, the pager, and, and, then, and then it become, you know, a desktop sync, uh, and then it became um, uh, cell phones. Um, so what are the commonality of that? Well, it serves two things, right? Securely communicates. Um, and so this is also the basic architecture attributes of how everything we build today, secure and, and communicates. And so um, today, BlackBerry is a software company focused on cybersecurity, focused on, on IoT endpoints communications. Um, you know, I, I try to avoid the buzzwords with you. Um, so, but... But that's what it is. So you have network of stuff that were never meant to talk to each other. We we're going to enable them to talk to each other and talk to you in a very secure and private manner. So that's what we're going to do. That's what we're doing today. Um, we have our software in 175 million cars, for example, our QNX software that that assure the safety of various electronic units, uh, microprocessors talking to each other inside a car communicating using a, a so-called uh, a black channel uh, approach. So a lot of encryption technology, a lot of security technologies. So that's what we do. In the future, in two years from now, we're going to continue to expand in different IoT devices, not just phones, not just PC, not just network routers, but beyond that, you know, the, the smart city. I think the concept where I, I heard people said smart mobility, you know, everything that are, 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 are connected mobily, anything that are, uh, 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 you know, that created using AI technology, using machine learning technology to come up with analytics and so forth. So, so that's who BlackBerry will be in the next couple of years, which we're working on today and what we're doing today. So for me, that's, that's the classic and extremely uh, well done, John, because 
trying to get the company's strategy, vision, execution, the foundations on which you make the changes, telling a little bit of the war stories on how you progress through it, and then summarizing it uh, is an art that uh, uh, all of us struggle with and one that I'm, I'm, uh, I think the listeners will value from greatly. Let me pick up on the point you just made, Internet of Things. Mm-hmm. You and I believed in digitization for decades. We often are way ahead of a market, which is good and bad uh, on it. Uh, And uh, to think about securing the Internet of Things, all you need to watch was what happened with the solar winds or today in France with Centurion uh, on it. And you'll see this almost a different incident every week uh, as we go forward challenge-wise. How do you define the Internet of Things? And how do you get the true value out of it? Because it's way more than just smart refrigerators and uh, Alexa talking and even intelligent cars. How do you think about it? And then, if you will, take me the next step on how you secure it. Yeah. Uh, so you, to secure it, so let's talk about a benefit. So everything in our world today, um, we use the word digitalizations. Everything in our world today are able to talk to each other through a certain, you know, through a a network of, let's loosely call it internet, and um, and so they all have IP addresses, so they all could be addressed. They all could say things, listen to things, act on things in every devices like that. Whether the devices, where you talk about a refrigerator or an entire car or a plane or a drone and, and a whole bunch of other uh, devices. Uh, now, um, the only value that could bring out from IoT, the Internet of Things, is the word trust. If, if there's a back actor in, in, the, in the network and the network changes dynamically you know, by subseconds, uh, and the reason being, you know, things connect, disconnect, geographic locations. That indeed things are not uh, steady, and 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 some of them aren't even stable. So all the hackers are coming in to infect different end endpoints that is part of the nodes, or insert that as part of the nodes. And our job, and you know, to 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 maintain the trust and security and the communications of these nodes is to secure all the endpoint and understand the traffic and sometimes even understand the meaning of the traffic. Uh, and so this is where a whole bunch of buzzwords comes around cloud and AI and ML and analytics. And you know, and we're not going to bore everybody with the details of that. But those technology all serve a component. They all serve a purpose in securing all the endpoints and assure the communication to be trusted. And if we can't trust network, um, then then there is no, you know, then, then there's no benefit whatsoever. And so anyway, that's that's what we are trying to do as a company. And I believe that's what the industry is trying to do also. So when you ask about the IoT as an industry, um, if you don't have those basic components of trust, security, communication, and reliability, then um, then, then it's then it's a useless uh, bunch of, you know, just a technical term itself. 
Yeah, I get it. When you think about it, it's almost mind boggling, uh, whether it's uh, 25, I'm sorry, 75 billion devices to 100 billion devices uh, in the next four to five years or 500 billion devices, which I think it will be by the turn of the next decade, uh, how we secure that and how we avoid the downside uh, uh, to the very many, many positive things that IoT brings us will be, will be fun to watch. I'm going to switch to watch. Also, also, there's whole area that you and I haven't, I mean, I know you and I both talk about in the past, but haven't really addressed uh, adequately. It's just a whole privacy issue. So once everything is trusted and they talk to each other and there's a bunch of data lake around and now what, all right? Who, who is going to direct the traffic uh, and, and the and the capability and how, how do you tier the information? Who got to know what? And this got to be a very complex ever-changing landscape. It will be. It's one of the things I worry about governments is they try to, when companies don't achieve the legitimate needs of their citizens or requirements of the government, they regulate and they know they're going to mess it up. Uh, And often the privacy regulations they put in place end up hurting, especially the small companies the most uh, on it. And so thinking about how does that occur and who owns the data? Is it the company that collected it? Uh, is it the cloud player that brought it together? Is it the actual citizen themselves that should own their own data and be able to disclose it to others? But John, I'm going to hold that one for another one because we could, yeah. we could go for a half an hour on that topic alone. Exactly. I'm going to, I'm going to switch directions. Leadership style. Uh, as a leader, you can have almost any leadership style you want as long as it's predictable and consistent. What is your leadership style? How do you describe it to somebody who's going to become part of your company or how do you describe it to the market? Uh, I think there are a couple of things. Uh, I think the, the thing that I feel most important about leadership style is fairness. Uh, I think because I am in the business of turning around company, you know, re-engineer things. Um, and you have to be, you know, when I do the work, and, and you know, uh, if I expect certain people to do a certain job, I, I wouldn't mind doing it myself. You know, and 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 I will spend the same amount of effort, if not more. And I work as hard as anybody else. I ask them to hard work, and I'll make myself as accountable as anybody else in the company. So, so uh, I think the leadership style is a little different. It's not hierarchical um, as as much as when you in a big company that everything is moving, flowing very smoothly, you know, people like ourselves need to just kind of be in there. The second thing is fairness, you know, because it's kind of like um, dividing food among uh, too many people. Uh, you have to achieve a certain level of fairness because, well, at least strive to do that. Whether you could do it every time or not, uh, it's debatable um, because there's just not enough food to go around. Um, and so you, you really need to be fair when you when you reward when, you know and 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 when you uh, incentivize and and those are all very important thing and and the last thing is the ownership mentality you know um, company die if you if the leader doesn't feel like they own it if you look at most of the successful especially tech but most of the successful company um, that are very big and successful, uh, they do they do have a owner that runs it for a very long time, sometime overly long, overstated. But um, but but that mentality is actually very important because it's a it's a very fast changing landscape. 
you know, I know you feel the same way when you were running Cisco. You know, I it's like you own you own the thing. If you don't spend the money this way on your personal life, you won't spend it at the company. Right? Uh, but you don't mind spending it because it's the right thing to do. So, so th- th- that those are kind of attributes as I I like to live by. You know the you know the fairness part of it. Don't you know do everything that you ask people to do and 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 ownership mentality. And I would think that that's what I like to define myself. When you think about what you're most proud of from your business career, and it often tells a lot about us as people when we say what I'm most proud of. Uh, and for Cisco, what I was most proud of is changing the world, the way you work, live, learn, and play. Uh, our closeness to our customers and our family culture. And I was very proud of creating 10,000 millionaires among our employees when a million could buy your house in Silicon yeah. Valley. Right. Uh, what are you most proud of in your career and business? I I feel like I have a certain case of fortunate enough to defy the conventional wisdom where, where you know, our achievements are, um, you know, usually not predicted. Like, I'll give you an example of that. Um, one of the last company I ran, I ran Sybase, and when it first started, and a very famous magazine that everybody read, um, and, you know, I put out an article and put my, put my face on it, uh, at, not, a, not on the front page, but, you know, one of the articles, I put my face on it, and the caption said, you know, somebody tell this guy that turning around a software company is virtually impossible. Uh, it actually said that. I still remember very clearly and, and what it said. And then, you know, X number of years later, it took a long time, you know, um, I was uh, moving our listing from NASDAQ to New York Stock Exchange. And then I have the picture of me at New York Stock Exchange looking up to the, to the, to the, to the, to the, to pricing of that. Um, uh, and, and it said, you know, um, a, a, um, a, a rebirth of the Phoenix or some, some, some wording of that sort. And, and I felt that really, I'm really proud of the fact that, you know, we had done something that most people think is not possible. And, you know, as Sybase, when we're in trouble, you know, our biggest three competitors, and there are only like three or four, were, you know, Microsoft, IBM, and Oracle. And, and it, we're selling database. You know, you could imagine at the time that everybody would say, I, you got to be joking, right? In fact, one of the very respected VC person asked me, called me up when it was announced that I was going to run run um, Firebase. He, he called me up and he said, "You know what's wrong with you? You can you can't find a real job, uh, you know." And so, and so anyway, so I I feel that that was the most prime moment. It's just the celebration of that success with the entire team that doing something that people said it ain't going to happen. Right? And same thing. Coming to BlackBerry, uh, most people think that it's not, it's over. I mean, why wouldn't it be over? <laughs> but it, we're still here. Well, the fun part is you're so humble on it, John. I'd word it differently. You turn both companies around dramatically. You change the vision, the results, and that's something some of us do it with one company. Very few people are fortunate enough to do it with uh, two marquee uh, companies uh, in terms of direction. Thank I you. believe leadership is about not just your successes, but how do we handle 
our challenges and setbacks. Uh, for me, I, I got surprised in 2001 big time from the uh, dot-com bubble and went from growth that was averaging 70% to minus 35% in 45 days. I didn't even model for it. I, <laughs> I kept doing the right thing again and again in terms of the data and my data by day, by week, by month of every quarter, never missed what it would be the next quarter and for the next year. And yet I got blindsided. And I still to this day, it, it my hands sweat even talking about it. Wish I would have been smart enough to figure that differently. And what I learned is doing the right thing too long can sometimes get you in trouble just as much as uh, uh, we were not taught in school where doing the right thing 5% better every year ensures success in a GE model. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was maybe one of your setbacks or challenges that you could share with the group more as a teaching experience uh, and lesson learned from them? I, I want to share something which I have learned from a lot of other people that have done or been doing what I've been doing. Um, and one of one of the person I give credit to is Mick Whitman, and a good friend of yours also. Um, yes, very it, much. You know, you know, when she and I was sitting down and having lunch one day uh, when she was turning around Hewlett Packet. Um, and um, he did save that company. Yes, he did. Amazing. And she did. Uh, and I asked her for her advice and say, you know, and I, I'm going to share the advice with everybody. Um, and, she, and I said, so what would you do different? Uh, you know, and she was already on its way to be successful. So I said, what, do you, what would you do different? He said, she said to me, uh, faster and deeper. Whether it's deeper in cutting or whether it's deeper in in, in investing, faster and deeper. And he did it and she did it in a number of steps. I, I have the same problem. Um, in looking back to a lot of my turnaround, uh, you know, a number of them, the, the, the strategy was right. The path was right. The logic was there. Right? Um, and we need to do some hard, hard things to make some hard choices. Uh, and and oftentimes I didn't go the full step. I go through like a measures. I, well, I like to think it's a measure step. Um, and 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 I and and I think that set us back in time. You know, doing the right thing a little bit of a time, <laughs> you know, make it a little bit more difficult. You know, you really probably want to do the right thing the one time. You know, and and. Uh, Again, it's easy to say. It really tests your guts. And so the setback that I always look back on is if, if I need to make a move on certain thing, whether it's for positive reasons or negative reasons, um, I, I should have done it more crisply and, and one, one shot at it, you know, rather than doing it a couple of times. I hope that makes sense. But it not only makes sense, it's it's crisis management 101 and uh, growth management 101. People almost always never move as fast. And especially in crisis management, never cut as deep as they have to to stabilize and then to look at growing. 
Uh, John, it, it, it's a great question to end on. I I was taking notes here. I don't know, uh, the audience can't see this because it's audio only, but I was taking notes on points made that I, that I need to continuously learn as well. Uh, I cannot thank you enough for uh, taking the time today. I also want to thank all the people who are listening to this session and and uh, uh, for the time that I hope you're going to look at this episode and say, here are all my takeaways from it. And John, you are a great friend and a great partner. So Thanks. I look forward to seeing the entire group soon on the next Chambers Podcast Talks. And uh, John, once again, it's an honor being your friend and your wingman. I'll, right, I'll be both always. Thank you, sir. It has been a lot of fun. Thank you for doing this. My pleasure, John. Have a great day, everyone. Mm -hmm.